Welcome to Step 1 Success Stories by Physio, Episode 8. And I actually really like doing questions. So to me, sitting and doing questions all day was preferable to just like reading. It felt more like a game. And so it was more enjoyable to sit and do questions all day than it was to just like read or watch videos or listen to something. You're listening to Step 1 Success Stories by Physio, the playbook of those who dominated the USMLE. If you want to learn how to excel on step one and get into the residency of your choice, then you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join the thousands of others who have mastered step one concepts using physio.com. Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode. Today we interview Ryan Hershey, who is a fourth year medical student at the University of Utah. And to help me with this, I'm here with my co-host, Rhett Thompson. How's it going? It's going really good. Recently, I finished this book called Atomic Habits, and he says that there's this trick to help you get yourself to do things that you don't want to do, and it's to associate it with something awesome. And I realized that I want to do more cardio workouts, and if I watch Game of Thrones while I do cardio workouts, it gets a lot easier. (laughs) So yeah, so I've been pretty diligent about watching Game of Thrones slash being on the treadmill for the past week or so, so... Hopefully it'll start to pay off and maybe you'll notice, you know, we'll see if I can shed some pounds, but things are good. That's a good idea. All right. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll try that out. Cool. Let's introduce our guest for today. Uh, Like I mentioned, his name is Ryan Hershey. He is 28 years old. He's from Utah and he is currently attending the University of Utah as a fourth year medical student. He's kind of at the tail end of that. You know, we're in May now. So wrapping up fourth year, soon be in his intern year. And he just matched into radiology at Wash U in St. Louis, Missouri. And... I think what uh, really stood out to me from this interview was just his mention of like his friends and his study group and how big of an impact they had on him while studying for step one. You know, he had two friends and they, all three of them just dominated step one. And it, it sounds like they really pushed each other and really had good ideas in terms of, you know, study strategies and techniques and, and ultimately, you know, helped each other to succeed on the exam. So I thought that was really cool. And uh, I, I think you guys are in for a real treat. So with that, let's bring him on. All right. Thanks, Ryan. We uh, really appreciate your time and welcome to the show, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. So maybe you could uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself and what got you interested in medicine. Okay. So I grew up in Utah. I was born here, uh, been here pretty much my whole life. And when I was younger, probably five or six years old, around there, my, my little sister got viral encephalitis. And I mean, at the time, obviously, I didn't really know a lot about what that was. But then seeing her live with the, uh, the consequences of that for the rest of her life, she developed some partial paralysis and epilepsy and a few things. And so I think, I think growing up with that, with her as my sister, I, w- I was pretty uh, naturally intrigued by neuroscience and and just how the body works and things like that. And then just through school, you know, the typical story of I really liked the maths and sciences and things like that. And and I thought uh I thought medicine sounded cool. And so I went more that way in undergrad and and just kind of ended up applying and doing most of it on my own really. I don't have anyone in my family, really like proximal family or extended family that's in healthcare at all really. So I just kind of kind of ended up there putting all of my interests and experiences to where they where I thought they would fit the best, I guess. Yeah, I think everyone 
It seems like most people, I should say, who go into medicine have some sort of experience like that where, you know, or something early on happens and it just kind of piques your interest. Unfortunately for you, that doesn't sound like a, that pleasant of an experience. How's your uh, sister doing these days? She's actually doing great compared to a lot of people that get uh, that serious of an illness at that young of an age. She's, she does pretty well. She, she still has epilepsy and, and has intermittent seizures, but she just graduated from college a couple years ago. She has a kid now. She can do most things that she needs to. She can't drive or, or do a lot of like, she probably wouldn't be carrying her baby around the house by herself all the time. And, you know, with, with some precautions and things, she does, she does really well. That's awesome. So now going forward, taking that inspiration you've gained at a young age, what school did you end up going to? I went to the University of Utah, so stayed at home yet again. I actually, I applied fairly broadly. I don't remember the exact number. I think I applied to somewhere around 40 or 50 medical schools probably. And of those, I probably, I think I got around 10 interviews and I only ended up going on four interviews because I got accepted to the University of Utah pretty early in like October or so. And so then I kind of just canceled all the rest of everything I had lined up to save money because I, I knew I was just going to take that in-state tuition and, and stay at Utah. And we have a fantastic institution. So it, it was a great choice. Sounds like you're a really good applicant. That's always nice that you can just be like, oh, I'm not going to go on these interviews. You know, I've already got in. I got where I want to go. That's awesome, man. I, I had a very, a very average MCAT score, but I feel like I built the rest of my application pretty well. But as far as the MCAT, it was very average to, to subpar. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's really important, especially for the U, and I'm sure there are a lot of other schools like this, but they seem to be a very well-rounded program and look at a lot of different things, not just your MCAT score. Yeah, it definitely was not my MCAT score that got me in. Yeah. So once you got into medical school, you know, the first day or the first week or so, can you maybe uh, take us back to that experience or that experience and just tell us what it was like? Yeah, sure. It kind of seems like a blur at this point. I, I, remember, I remember being really excited to to finally study medicine, you know, you, you learn about a lot of the basics in undergrad and some of the prerequisite classes, but I was really excited to finally feel like I was studying for my career and a little bit more uh, fine-tuned into what I was going to be doing. And then I, I kind of remember the first couple of weeks just being like a whole bunch of orientation, a whole bunch of uh, like, this is going to be really hard. Here's all of this map of what the next four years are going to look like. And a lot of logistics, a lot of like people throwing out all sorts of different study resources and you need to do this, you need to do that. And uh, kind of a lot of confusion, honestly. Yeah, I think a lot of people experience that. It's like, you know, what resources do I use? Everything's so new. I remember feeling very similarly. You study all this stuff in undergrad and if you want to do medicine, sometimes it can be like, oh, I just want to get into med school so I can actually finally study what I'm interested in. And there's that feeling, but then, you know, the same feeling that you're echoing just, or that you're saying is, it's like, Ah, oh, what should I? What should I do? And it's it's overwhelming too because there's so many wicked smart people there that sometimes it's like overwhelming to know what to do. You know, lots of people using different resources. And what did you end up doing during those first few weeks in terms of studying for class? And did you did step one cross your mind at that point, or were you just really focused on on classwork? Yeah, good question. Uh, one thing I really liked about the University of Utah is we we have this like six month period of kind of getting your feet wet and, and they, your grades don't really count as much. And it's like this foundations of medicine period where you kind of figure out how you need to study and how you best learn. And so I, I tried just about everything, if I remember right. I, I think I started out, I started out taking like some hand notes every now and then because I did a little bit of that in undergrad. And I very quickly realized that that was not going to work because I would just write a bunch of stuff down 
in a notebook and try to organize it, but then I would never go back to it really. And so, I don't know, I guess I'm the type of person that if I can tell it's not going to work, then I'm, I'm pretty, it's pretty easy for me to just let it go and, and try something new. And so after the first couple of weeks, I don't think I ever took hand notes again in the entire rest of the four years of med school. The next thing I switched over to, I believe was, uh, oh, what's that one flashcard? It's like a free flashcard internet browser. I, I used that for like the rest of the first half of the first year. Is it Anki or, or no, something else? No, I switched over to that second year, which was really the shining light that came through. It was like, not Quizlet. There's another one that's, um, oh, what is it? I don't know. You're, you're stumping us here. <laughs> it was something like Quizlet. Uh, it was one of the upperclassmen that like sent me a link for some pre-made cards or something that they claimed went well with uh, Foundations of Medicine. But that's essentially what it was, kind of an internet browser-based flashcard thing. I'm not even, I think they had an app as well, but that was kind of my first experience with flashcards, at least like electronic flashcards. And then that kind of paved the way for the rest of med school, but I didn't really stick with that. Like I said, that was kind of the next few months. And then I tried a lot of textbooks the first semester as well, those first six months, just reading chapters out of different textbooks that were recommended. But I kind of the same time frame, a little bit after I was realizing handwritten notes weren't really for me, I also was realizing textbooks weren't really for me. So I kind of quickly crossed those two things off the off the list. Yeah, at least for those first six months. So at that point, what did you use as your resources? So I, I went to, let's see, I went from textbooks to, I just talked with more like upperclassmen and I kind of figured out people that I wanted to trust more than others from upperclassmen, if that makes sense. When you first come in, you everyone's kind of this big, bad third or fourth year. And then as you meet people and get to know people, like what specialties they're going into, things like that, you can kind of find those that align with your personality a little bit better. And so after that, I, I kind of identified the different resources that seemed to best fit with what I was looking for. And so, you know, the classic first aid, I think I got a copy of that. And I wouldn't really read that like cover to cover. I would just kind of find the corresponding topics and then use that as like a, just use it as like an outline. And then I would turn to, I use a lot of Pathoma and to kind of watch it through a first time and, and just get like a base of of the topics. And then first aid. And then there was a pre-made deck of Anki. That was about the time I switched over to, to Anki. And then I would use what was said in lecture and kind of edit Anki cards that were already pre-made, but personalize them. And then I would add in the stuff from uh, Pathoma and first aid and lectures as kind of as I went through. Interesting. Okay. So six months kind of figuring things out using a flashcard system, using textbooks, realized that didn't work for you. And then you started to use first aid more as like a reference as well as Pathoma and, and Anki. Is that right? Yeah. Sorry. That, that's, that's a little jumbled, but, uh, Honestly, the whole process was a little jumbled for me too. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I, th- I think a lot of people experience that where it's, you know, the first couple of weeks or months, you're just trying to figure things out and obviously trying to find people that you trust. I think that's important. Yeah. And I, and I remember where I think where it really kind of came together was during the second half of first year, we have a course called Host and Defense, which is all of the uh, bugs and drugs, basically. And it's kind of taught with systems based as well. So, you know, you learn a little about GI and then some of the, how some of the GI bugs fit in and et cetera. And that's kind of when I came to my process. So I would, at the beginning of a week, I would, I would look up what the lectures were, which topics were being covered. And then like on Monday of that week after lectures, I would try and get through all of the pathoma for that, for that section. 
or like those topics that were being covered, say it was GI or neuro or, or whatever. And then watching the entire chapter of Pathoma would give me a brief overview of, of like what I needed to be looking out for. And then I would, as I was watching Pathoma and then kind of having first aid open on the side, I would pull in these pre-made flashcards into a, like a deck that I was going to be studying for that week. And then as they came up in lecture, I would pull up those cards and then kind of fill it in with my own notes or diagrams or pictures. And then I happened upon Sketchy, which happens to be one of my very favorite resources as well. And so I started using their pictures and kind of kind of bringing in all these different resources into my flashcard deck, which ended up being like like my, my notebook that I threw away uh, at the first of first year. My Anki deck kind of became that. Interesting. No, I think I think a lot of people have a similar experience. I'm curious, a couple things. With the Anki deck that you were using, you said it was a, a pre-made deck. What deck was that exactly? Oh man, I don't even remember. I think it was the the bros deck. For those who don't know, what is what does that entail? The bros deck. I think it's basically first aid in flashcard form is what it was at the time. I think I've heard there's I've heard there's newer versions that are bigger and better that have come out since then, but it was I mean it was pretty good. I was I was always pretty impressed with the level that they covered stuff at it, it never seemed to be too much, but they they had things that I wasn't expecting them to have sometimes. So yeah, it worked out great. Well, that's great. Did you use that to study? So it sounds like you use that to study for class. You said you would, you know, take that deck and edit it. Did you have like two decks, one that was dedicated for class and one that was dedicated for your step one study or were they just one and the same? It was kind of a running, a running system. So which is, which is how it works best with, with their algorithm. So when I first started out, I had like a like a host and defense, which was the name of our course deck. And then once that course was over, I would start a new deck for the next course. But then I would keep studying the host and defense deck as those cards came up. And so by the end of, you know, going into second year, every few weeks I would have a new deck. And I don't know, I think I had probably 10 or 15 decks by the time, by the time third year was wrapping up. As far as step one specific decks, I... I kind of just tried to integrate my step one study into my class study, honestly. So I didn't have a lot of separation between class stuff and step one stuff per se. That's interesting. You know, a lot of people have a hard time kind of like separating out, okay, do I study for class or do I study for step one? Do I just do one exclusively and the other one exclusively later on? Or do I combine them and how do I divide that up? So I think that's really interesting how you decided to approach that. Yeah, and I think our school, so the first year we had required attendance, all of second year, I still I still went to class every day, but I would use, rather than using what the lecturers were saying kind of for my primary learning, I would instead supplement my cards with what the lecturers were saying. So I almost used the lecturers to fill in my notes rather than using my notes to kind of remember what the lecturers said, if that makes sense. And I also did not worry that much about the quizzes that we had every other week because that material seemed to come more off of lecture slides, whereas the final exams were more standardized using more step one type questions. And so I probably was like, I don't know, 75th to 85th percentile on like the weekly quizzes. But then the final exams, I was more like 95th to 100 percentile almost almost every time because they turned back towards step one type questions. Interesting. That's really good that you figured that out and were able to just capitalize on that. To make sure that I understand what you're saying, you you would do the, you'd have like this Anki or step one first aid deck as your core, and then you would take items from your classwork or the lectures 
and then use those as supplements, or I guess build questions to add into your Inky deck. Is that more or less what you did? Correct. Yeah. So I was basically just personalizing the uh, Inky deck with all of the other resources that I that I was using at the time. So th- those were kind of my ever changing notes, I guess you you could say that I was constantly reinforcing with with everything I was learning. Gotcha. Okay. So it sounds like you were able to continue reviewing old material through Anki as you moved forward in your courses. Yes, correct. Okay, cool. So were, did you ever feel like you weren't able to stay up on that stuff or did you have to skip any any cards or anything like that? No, I, I stayed up on it pretty well because I always made an effort to uh, make sure I got through them every day because I think that's the real key with, with Anki and with it being successful is doing it every day because the way their algorithms work, if you if you miss a few days or a week, then you're kind of so far behind that you can't really catch up. And then you're just pushing cart, you're pushing all those cards out to like the same day in the future uh, if you're doing them all at the same time anyways. And so I think it was just discipline or maybe, I don't know, fear or something that, that made me get through all of them pretty much every day. And so it was never, never that big of a problem. Awesome. Was there ever a day that you needed to to stop. I know that we've talked to some people who would have a bunch of cards and they would take a day off and they wouldn't look at their cards and then they would try to catch up just by waking up crazy early the next day and then trying to get it done. Did anything like that ever happen to you? Yeah, I'm sure there were days that I did a lot less than other days. Nothing specific comes to mind, but I'm sure there were days where I, you know, where I would only do a few one day and then have to do like six, seven, eight hundred over the next couple of days to catch up. But I never got so far behind where I where I couldn't catch up or where I was just like clicking the button a ton of times to get cards out of the way. So obviously the way Inky works, you know, over time you get more and more questions. And so every day, you know, theoretically you should eventually be doing more questions. Did you max out at a certain number of questions and then you just decided not to do any more or how did, how did you handle that? I don't think I've really maxed out. No, it's, I would only try to make like, I don't remember exact numbers, but I, when I was describing kind of how I looked at the the workload for the week on Monday and then like add all those cards in, if there were a ton that I was adding in on, on Monday, then I would kind of stagger out the, the new ones over that week. So I would set it to where I was only seeing, I don't know, 20 or 30 or 40 new cards per day. And then I would make sure that I got through all of the review cards every day. So how many cards a day on average were you doing? You know, let's say like after six months of starting Inky. Yeah, I was, I was probably doing somewhere in like the... F- probably a few hundred review cards and then like between 20 and 50 new cards a day. Yeah, that's quite a bit. Did you feel like you were able to balance your coursework with that? Yeah, and I, my wife and I, we had our daughter at the end of first year. And so the way I balanced that was I kind of s- switched my whole schedule around and it actually ended up working out great. So I would, I would wake up at like 4.30 every day and then from like 5 a.m. until 8 a.m. when we had lecture, I would just do cards the entire morning, like three three straight hours. And then, then I would go to class from 8 until noon usually. And then from like noon until four, like 4 or 5, I would do a mixture of learning in some new cards or, or editing my cards to make them better and, and add in these other resources. And then I would pretty much be done by 5 or so and, and go home. And then, you know, five until eight or nine, I would, I didn't do anything except for stuff with, with my family. And then depending how I was feeling, I would, I would maybe do another half hour of cards or an hour max. And then, uh, I tried to get at least six and a half or seven hours of sleep pretty much all the way through. It sounds like you worked really hard. I mean, that's not an easy schedule, but it's nice. You have time at the end of the day to just kind of unwind and spend with your family. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it, it, it ended up working out pretty well. And, and I think it was 
a combination of all those things that uh, ended up preventing any significant or like prolonged burnout. I, I never really felt that burnt out during first or second year, honestly. That's awesome. And that makes sense. It sounds like you're doing things or you did things that really helped you maintain that continual fire where you didn't get too far behind and you avoided certain things like seeing you had you know, 10,000 inky questions to do and felt discouraged. It sounds like you stayed on top of it, which I think is, you know, at least for me, is one of those things that always makes me feel invigorated and it makes me feel like I could keep going. So it, it makes sense that that worked for you. Yeah. And, and I, I think mixing up a lot of different resources, you know, if you get kind of bored of one thing or you start to get like complacent with one thing, you can just switch for a few minutes and like watch a sketchy video or, or a, a couple Pathoma videos. And then I don't know if you, I found that if you kind of mix up different things that that worked really well for me too. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, it sounds like you just stuck with this method through all of your second year leading up to your dedicated time preparing for step one. Correct. Is that correct? Yeah. Cool. So at what point did you start integrating question banks and like UWorld or or any other question banks? Yeah, good question. So starting second year, the summer between first and second year, I did quite a bit of research. And I also tried to, since I hadn't used that, that Anki method for all of first year, I tried to go back and fill in some of the stuff that I had missed from early on first year and kind of the first part of the second half of first year. So that summer I was, I was trying to like make things more complete and fill in some holes and like get ready for second year. And then once second year started, I bought the first aid question bank, which isn't my favorite, but it's, it was pretty good just for like factual recall, I guess. I also bought the Kaplan question bank. And then I also bought UWorld. So I had all three of those question banks. And the way I handled those is the week before each final exam for each unit, I would just like do like a hundred a day or so questions in addition to like flying through all my flashcards. But I didn't use UWorld. I only used First Aid and Kaplan for most of second year up until dedicated study time. So throwing UWorld out for a second. So final exam week of a unit during second year is is starting or whatever. So Monday of that week, I would pull out all of the questions, like let's say it was GI or something. I would, I would filter out all of the GI questions and then do all of those for first aid in the first aid question bank and the Kaplan question bank, and then kind of use what I was missing in those questions to make my flashcards even better. And it worked out pretty well because that whole last week tended to be kind of reviews of things. And I, I wasn't getting a lot of new flashcards added in. So I was able to really hammer down my uh, my review flashcards and add in all of this stuff that was coming from the question banks. So I, I kind of just did rapid spurts of question banks, honestly. I, I wasn't really the person that was doing 10 questions a day overall of second year. I was doing like a few hundred during one week every few weeks, if that makes sense. Hmm. Interesting. So were you able to get through all of Rx and all of Kaplan before your dedicated period? Or what portion of the QBanks did you get through? I think I got through about 80 to 90% of both of those. And then the rest I never got to. And the questions, the questions that I didn't get to were those that weren't covered in like the standard, you know, like neuroblock or GI or cardiac, respiratory, whatever it is. I was getting all of like the, the meat of the, the questions. And then I don't really know what would have been left out. Maybe like a lot of the biostats and like ethics type stuff. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So you did those. Did you ever start to incorporate UWorld before dedicated or when did you decide to tackle that QBank? No, I, I did not touch UWorld until dedicated study time, which I don't know if you, how many people you guys have talked to, but that doesn't seem to be 
way common. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I would say it's less common among the people we've talked to so far. I think most people dip their toes into it a little bit. And some people have like 50% of it done. But yeah. Yeah. And let me so let me just talk about my my reasoning behind that. I had always heard that UWorld is far and away the best question bank. And I don't know, I, I think I agree with that as well. I, I don't know if there's new things that are coming up. But at the time, I that was my thinking. And so I wanted to be able to do it in 40 question sets, timed and completely random orders. Because I knew that if I was just filtering out like all of the neuro questions right before my neuro final, then I was probably going to do really well on those questions because that was what I was thinking about. And that is what I'd been studying for the past month. And so my thinking was that I would have this, this completely untouched question bank that I could just do in completely random, random time sets to try and get in real exam mode, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I, th- I feel like I had a similar mentality at some point. You know, I, I dipped my toes into your world a little bit earlier, but I, I remember having the same thought process. But on the flip side of that, I remember getting into dedicated and feeling a little bit overwhelmed, like, wow, I've done, I've done so much of RX and I've done, you know, I completed RX and I did a chunk of Kaplan as well but I hadn't really touched your world. And so when I got to dedicated, I remember just feeling a little overwhelmed at the thought of doing so many year old questions and like kind of jealous of other people who would already kind of, you know, tackle the portion of the Q bank. Did you feel that way at all or, or not really? At times I, I definitely did. Yeah. Um, I definitely felt like I was behind or my three best friends that I studied with started it quite a bit earlier. So it was hard not to compare to them, but, but I think what kept me doing it was I knew that I was on track and I actually really like doing questions. So to me, sitting and doing questions all day was preferable. It felt more like a game. And so it was more enjoyable to sit and do questions all day than it, than it was to just like read or uh, watch videos or listen to something. So for me, it worked, but I, I do see where you come from. And I, I did feel that way at times, but I tried to use it to just help me get through more questions. <laughs> you might have already said this. Did you get through all of your world then? I did, yes. But it, but it came up to like a day or two before my test. I was still, still hammering through questions. Gotcha. Okay. Now... Going back to this Anki idea where you've got so many cards and you just maintain those throughout your second year, were you able to maintain those through your dedicated? For the most part, let's see, I'm trying to remember. I I think so, yes, because I think I had started to thin them out so far that uh, that I didn't have a ton that were coming up. I had kind of got to a point where I was pushing them out like months in advance past the exam. And so they were the deck was was getting pretty small by that point as far as things that I wanted to see again before the test. So the questions were for sure my priority, but I was still doing a fair amount of flashcards each day, mostly like on my phone, on the app, you know, on the bus to and from school or just like at night. So piecing them together here and there. Okay. So just trying to get an idea of how you balanced your structure and your study schedule, how many hours would you spend like doing those inky cards, even even with the deck thinned out and, and how, many, how much time would you be spending on UWorld and perhaps how many questions you would do? Yeah, uh, good question. So I, if I remember right, I, th- I think I was doing about three, three blocks of 40 questions a day during most of dedicated. So what's that like 120 questions a day. So I would probably do, I don't know, like f- between 30 and 50 cards in the morning, either on the bus or just like when I got when I got to school for the first 10 or 15 minutes. And then I would do either one or two blocks in the morning before lunch and then would take usually like, I don't know, like a half hour break for lunch or just to like, I don't know, watch something on YouTube or just forget about studying for a half hour or so. And then I would do another block of questions in the afternoon. And then I think I was still going through sketchy videos 
like reviewing some of those. That was one thing that I continued to watch over and over as many times as I could. And I would do a few of those every day at some point mixed in there for probably, I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes. And then I would do cards again on the way home or like at night while I was laying in bed. So I probably wasn't doing cards for more than an hour a day and maybe sketchy and pathoma for like another half hour to an hour a day. And then other than that, it was probably questions for 10, 10 hours or so a day. Questions and reviewing those questions. Yeah, it sounds like you really focused on UWorld at that point, which is probably good. Yeah, that's kind of where all of my, the basket that all of my eggs in were in at that point. So I was going all or nothing on UWorld. Yeah. So you were doing that. That was your day-to-day. I'm assuming like Monday through Friday. And then on Saturday, would you would you take an MBME or did you not do the MBMEs? How did you approach that? Yeah, I would usually do an MBME like Saturday morning. And then and then uh, I, I took it at the same time as a bunch of my friends and we would all review it together in the afternoon. And then I, I think I still did like one set, of, like one additional set of 40 questions that day as well, or sometimes two, because most of those are only half length, if I remember right. And there were a couple of days where I wanted to try and stimulate the full like eight, eight or 10 hour test. So I would add on a couple more blocks of UWorld questions at the end of those. Oh, that sounds brutal. Yeah, it was, I, I don't think I could do it again. <laughs> Honestly, dedicated, dedicated study was, <laughs> it was a, uh, it was a unique time. It's a, br- it's a brutal time. Oh, yeah. I can empathize with that. <laughs> yeah. I, I always tell people to just like, to just like put your head down and just, just get through it. And if you put the work in it, it, it usually pays off on the other end and it's like a fixed, fixed portion of your life that you'll never have again. So just do whatever you have to, to just get through it. Yeah. No, I like your plan. I think your study strategy overall is really interesting and really good. I think it'd probably work for a lot of people. The only thing that like kind of scares me about your plan is just like the U roll at the end because I know like oh going into dedicated sometimes you just feel kind of burned out, you know, and then you take an MBME and at the end of it you're just exhausted. And so, you know, coming back to U world after that and just chipping through U world over and over and over again can it can be mentally exhausting for some people. Yeah, that's that. a very valid concern. And I definitely wouldn't recommend it for anyone, but I just, I don't know. I just, it, I just felt like it was working for me. And so I just, uh, just stuck to it, I guess. Now it sounds like before you decided to put UWorld off to the very end, you were taking some practice tests to get an idea of where you were at with things. Yeah. So when did you, when, yeah. Tell me about when you started taking those. Are you referring to MBMEs? Yes. The, uh, the MBMEs and also, also the UWorld standardized exams or whatever those things are called. So I think I I think I took the first uh, the first practice exam in March. I want to say my test date was May, somewhere in the mid May twenties, like the twenty third or twenty fourth or something like that. And my very first MBME was on the seventh of March. And on that one, I got a two twenty five. So that that was the very first one before we'd even finished like curriculum or anything on March 7th. Yeah, that was a 225. And then the next one I took was almost a month later. It uh, looks like it was the 15th of April. And on that test, I got a 250. And that's kind of why I said I, I, I kind of knew that I was on track. And I tried to try to not get complacent though and, and use it as fuel to study harder rather than to like just chill and, and sit back and say, oh, I could probably take this thing today and do okay. But it, it was kind of nice to have that in my back pocket. Like, oh, at the end of the day, you know, I, I probably could do okay on this if I just went and took it. But I honestly did not. So I took the one on March 7th and another one on the 15th of April. And then after that, it was almost weekly up until the test. So it looks like there was April 18th, 
May 2nd, May 7th, another one at the end of April, and then one like a week before my test. How did those go compared to that one you know, that you got like a 250 on? Did your score keep on going up or did it kind of stay at that range? It kind of plateaued. I, the next like four after that, I got the same score on all of them. I think it was 254. And so it was literally the exact same score for like four tests in a row. And I remember feeling a little bit discouraged. I don't know if discouraged is a good word because I was already kind of hitting my goal, but it was kind of like, you know, I'm putting in all these hours day after day and my score is staying the exact same. On the other hand, though, it was nice to see the consistency. You had no room for improvement, man. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. You're like, I I was, I was doing like the worst of any of my friends. So there was definitely room for improvement. Yeah. You got some wicked smart friends, man. (laughs) Yeah. They're, they're absurd. I'm just blown away by the 254. Four times in a row. He's like, wow, that's a good score. (laughs) Um, It was kind of, it was a little frustrating, more just like, like, like I said, you know, you're putting all these hours and there's no change. Yeah. It's understandable. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, people who are overweight and trying to lose weight and they like have a lot of success, you know, losing a lot, you know, a hundred pounds, but then it gets down to like the last five pounds and they just can't, it just takes a lot of extra work or just can't seem to shed the last five pounds. This is uh more or less a personal fat guy story, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I think a lot of people can relate and, and for any of our listeners who are discouraged that they didn't get uh, a 250 right before their dedicated step time, you know, there's a lot of people that end up having a, a pretty low step score before they start dedicated and and then they're able to bring it up, you know, 30 or 40 points and and then reach that plateau, you know, or, or wherever they were going to get to. One of my other best friends that I didn't necessarily study with, he w- I didn't study with him in the same group, but we did quite a bit together outside of studying. I think he improved from like a 175 or 180 on that same, around that same time, March 7th. And then ended up getting the exact same score as me on the actual exam. And he, so he improved almost 80 points in, in what's that, two and a half months? Wow, that's incredible. So there's definitely some a lot of different paths to get to your goal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds like whatever you were doing, obviously, we've been through a lot of that. But what you were doing was, was working for you. So that's awesome. What did you end up getting on step one, if you don't mind us asking? Yeah, I got a 258. Wow. Congratulations. And honestly, I people probably feel this way and say this a lot, but I feel like that's probably the worst score. If I would have taken it 10 times, I feel like that's probably about the worst I could have done. I honestly, like, I counted a 35 to 40 questions after the exam that I was 100% that I missed because I could I could remember all of them and, like, I, I knew all the answers afterwards or, like, looked them up or whatever. So I was actually really surprised to get that score, which was, you know, four or five points better than any of my practice exams having missed so many questions. And that's something that I always tell people as well, that like the very last question on your exam is likely worth just as much as the very first question. And so if you're kind of floundering through the actual exam, feeling like you're going to die, because you probably will feel that way at some point, if you can just remember to kind of keep your head on for each question and kind of reset for each question, remembering that they're all worth as much as the other ones, then I don't know, I think there's a lot to be said to to the stamina of step one. Yeah, no, definitely. It's, It's a very long test. It's pretty important to to have some practice with that. You know, I think the MBMEs are a good simulation of that. But, you know, some people we've talked to have said kind of what you said, where they go on after the MBME to do more questions. And I think that's probably helpful for a lot of people to just kind of simulate that that length and develop that stamina because it is a very, very long test. 
yeah, and then throw on all the added stress of crap, this is this is the real thing. And, you know, there's no backing out. I mean, I guess you can like cancel your exam afterwards or something, but, but there's quite a bit of added. It, it feels different taking the real thing than, than just taking a practice exam on a Saturday with your buddies, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, congratulations again. I mean, that's that's an incredible score. So, you, you know, you obviously worked very hard. You deserved it. So that, that, that's awesome. Yeah, and, and I did stay consistent and got the lowest score out of all my friends. So... <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. Keeps you humble. That's so crazy. What what did your what did your friends score? That's nuts. One topped out at a two seventy, and the other one got a two sixty seven, I believe, and then was little old me down at two fifty eight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you should feel so bad. That's an awful score. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I I hear it from them all the time. No, I'm just kidding. But on that topic, I I think it is really important to have have a good group of people that you feel like you can you can study with in a constructive way. We, we didn't really like study together. Like we wouldn't, we wouldn't like lecture each other or like teach each other stuff, but, but just having the camaraderie or like studying in the same room. And, you know, I don't know, there's jokes that go back and forth or, or just like being able to talk about something for 10 minutes between, between different tasks and having like a healthy encouragement type competition rather than, rather than like this secretive gunner style competition. I honestly don't believe I would have gotten nearly the score I did if it weren't for those friends. Yeah, they sound like really good friends. And you know, they are obviously very, very intelligent people scoring very well. So that, that probably helped you and pushed you to be, to be better, I would suspect. Yeah, it was, it was great. Well, that is an incredible score. So for those who are thinking about what to do. This obviously is a, a study strategy that has worked well for Ryan. It could potentially work for you as well. And we, again, appreciate you sharing your score with us and telling us about all your experiences. That's really awesome. Yeah, no problem. So Ryan, before we let you go, is there any parting words of advice you'd like to give to students that were once in your shoes? I think uh, looking back, I, th- I feel like the most important things for step one are putting in the time and and being organized and disciplined. I think a lot of people think you have to be like some genius to do well, but you really, you really don't. It's a very beatable test. See, I, f- I feel like the MCAT is not that way. I, as I mentioned previously, I, d- I did very average on the MCAT because I felt like it was tricky and I felt like it was a lot of information from all over the place, whereas step one is very predictable almost. I mean, it, it's still a very difficult exam, but I, I felt like I was studying, a lot higher percentage of my time was studying things that were actually going to show up on step one. And uh, talking with my friend who got the 270, he had similar feelings as well. He did very average on, I think we got the same score on the MCAT actually. It was on the old MCAT. And I think we both got like a 30 or a 31 or something on the old scoring system, which was right about average. So I, I think that just goes to show that you don't have to be some crazy good test taker or some like freak genius. If you if you can come up with a decent study plan early on and stick to it and be disciplined and just put in the time, then I think it I think it pretty directly pays off with with your score. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think you're spot on. I think the I've heard it said, and I agree with this: the harder you work during the first years of medical school, the better that you will do on step one. And I feel like with the MCAT, that's not necessarily <laughs> true. Like if you're busting your butt during undergrad, doing really well in OCHEM and all those other courses, you can totally flop the MCAT because that's a it's a very difficult test and you know, there's a lot of like conceptual stuff that's, it's just kind of like on your feet thinking in the moment. Whereas step one, I felt like was more of like, you know, okay, I, I learned about this. I have some background in this, this area. And if you work really hard and memorize a lot of stuff and understand all the pathways and really try to understand a lot of things, then you'll, for the most part, probably do well. Yeah. And there's no, I mean, I mean, the MCAT's got like the verbal reasoning section and all, 
you're kind of switching modes all over and, and step one is just, you know, the same style of questions for the entire exam. So it's kind of nice. That's great advice. We, uh, we appreciate it. So thanks again, Ryan. Thanks for your time. And thanks for sharing everything that you shared with us. We, we really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you guys. Hey everyone. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to go to our website at physio.com to check out our growing library of free step one videos. You can also find our physio group on Facebook to join our growing community of students preparing for step one. If you've been enjoying the episodes and have been getting value from the content, here are three easy ways that you can support us. One, press the subscribe button on the platform you're listening to this on. Two, leave us a review. To do that, just go to physio.com slash podcast. Three, find your friends who are in medical school or interested in medical school and tell them about the podcast. Thanks for listening and join us next time.